Welcome to Beyond the Veil. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Soma Studio Venue, located in Nelson, British Columbia. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Veil, where we pierce through illusions, the great mysteries of life and what lies beneath the surface. Uh, Before we get into this discussion, I would like to quickly announce the membership option for this Spotify account where you can gain access to guided meditations and monthly energy updates and forecasts. The link will be in the description area below for you to set that up. But without further ado, I'm here with Marcus Dupuis. Marcus has been with us before talking about fear, and we are going to be talking about death in this episode. And it is something that I've been wanting to uh, discuss and actually started to record by myself, but it just wasn't the same. And I knew that I was lacking more, more, just more content and depth and probing into this, this area, because we have so many aspects to explore when we think of death and the passing of our lives and the cycles of life. And so Marcus, thank you so much for being here. And I'm looking forward to this discussion. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Tara. It's always great. So let's start with a little bit of history, perhaps we can go back in time. So, and and I'll open up with this because we did have a pre-chat here and uh, the purpose of this discussion. And if anybody's coming in and you feel a bit triggered by the topic, I, I really do recommend to um, oh, listen with an open heart and open mind. And this is an area of our lives that we may have a lot of fear around. We may also, um, it may also bring up a lot of sorrow and sadness within ourselves because the grieving process can be quite intense. But it's an important area to talk about and have this discussion because because of that, because of the weight that we place on this this process of our life. And in the Western cultures, we tend to have this heavy grief around the the passing of life and and the cycle of life here. And a lot of people also truly fear death also, right? So we're going to talk all all about this here with Marcus and uh, let's go a little bit back in time. So let's, let's talk about perhaps a little bit of the history of the, the ceremonial um, rituals, if you will, of death and the passing on and maybe in history, how death was perceived and the rituals around death, and then how mm-hmm. it's changed to where we are today. Right. Well, it's interesting that our our last conversation was about fear, and one of the big lines with death is fear of death. So we're we're sticking with a topic that <clears throat> that is dear to us and central to our existence. So in terms of going into history, I would say that, you know, in terms of written history and known history, um, the the Egyptian Book of the Dead would be um, sort of a good place to start because the Egyptians had all kinds of ceremony and all kinds of ideas attached to the afterlife. And the ideas in the Egyptian Book of the Dead is called uh, the space, <clears throat> is called... Um, the, the dua and the dua is a space between which the reason they did mummification was that there was a great belief that if you could be a very clean and holy being that you would actually need your body again that you could return to it and that was one of the reasons that they did these elaborate ceremonies of preserving the body so that uh, after you went and did this, um, there was a process that was the the afterlife that we refer to. But um, if we look at that whole story, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and then we look at all the stories that we're going to talk about as we go along, there's not a lot of not a lot of deviation on the perception of um, the fact that. Um, we are eternal beings and that there's these processes that we go through in leaving one physical body. But uh, all all the way through history, we've always had this um, understanding that there's a place in between. 
So with the Egyptian um, Book of the Dead, it was a place of, um, it was interesting, they called it negative confession. It was a space where you reviewed your life and you talked about all the bad things you did not do, which is a way of looking at what all the good things you did do. But instead of looking at all the good things a person did, the, the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Egyptians' approach was um, to acknowledge all the bad things that you did not do. And in fact, when you go through the negative confession sort of uh, curriculum of, of, of history there, um, it's very much um, the foundation of the Ten Commandments. Um, so basically, a, a person it was basically going to go through the 10 commandments and say, I did not do that. I did not do this. I did not do that. And then hopefully come out clean at the end. Right. And what, what happens if someone doesn't come out clean? Do they have to go? Well, that, this is where um, is very interesting because um, in modern day, as we come through time, there's the Tibetan book of the dead, which has become quite famous. And the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the actual name for it is is uh, the Bardo Thos Grawl or something like that, yeah. And essentially, the Bardo is that same space that the Egyptian Book of the Dead speaks of. And in the Bardo, the Bardo is the space between. And so this perception of the space between is always there. It's always there. And so even if we get into Christianity, into modern, more modern times, uh, it's called purgatory. And and so this in-between space is consistent. It's always there. And, and so in the Bardo, it's the same thing. You're basically going through an evaluation, a reevaluation of your life. In purgatory, you're doing the same thing. You're going through all your sins. You're going through it. But it's all this in-between space. It's all this space in between. And I think one of the things that um, ties it together, if you even look at uh, anybody who's um, had a near-death experience, anybody, and this is without exception, unless you can find one and show me, Anybody who's had a near-death experience, after having that experience and going to this in-between space and coming back, no longer fears death. Nobody fears death after having faced it. We only fear it because we uh, it's a mysterious thing to us. We don't know about it. We fear what's on the other side because we don't know what's on the other side. We fear the unknown. But anybody who's come into contact with it no longer fears it. And so then when you go through these historic texts and you go through all these traditions, so the three that we're talking about now would be the Egyptians, which goes back about four or 5,000 years, and then the Tibetans, which we can sort of put at about 20, uh, 2,500 years, uh, 2,400 years, that sort of zone, and then the Christians in the modern era, they all have that exact same in-between with slightly different vocabulary. And then when we take a person's natural experience of near-death experiences and having faced it, they come back with sort of the same story. Um, it's all vocabulary. It's, it's interesting how the experiences themselves are not that different. They're not different. They're just described with different vocabulary, with different words, you know. So, you know, I think that what we mostly fear when people talk about fear of dying, fear of death, is not death. It's the method of dying. It's how is it going to happen? Is it going to be painful? Is it going to be drawn out? Is it... We fear the way that we're going to die more than we fear death itself. That's uh, been an observation of mine, uh, having been by the bedside of people dying i have experienced the departure a few times um the most powerful one for me was my father um right there holding his hand and uh experiencing that that leaving 
of the body, the departure. And even to this day, when I go back to that particular moment, I can say that my father didn't fear that moment. It was painful for us because we're letting go of this physical experience and story that we're attached to. This, this Because attachment, I think, is the great part of what's going on here. People are attached to this life, attached to this experience, attached to this story. But in the end, um, we can't get too attached to the story because it, it it's an ongoing story. And so that moment with my father, there was never any any fear it was just more the you know the inconvenience of having to deal with the physical shift in the physical change because now he's no longer physically here anymore but in the long run when you really look at it at the preparation for death of a body breaking down the mind breaking down everything breaking down it prepares us for it because really in the end i'm really sad not to have my father in my life but he was ready to go. Why? Well, because he'd lost all his physical abilities. He'd lost his mental abilities. He's lost, well, not so much. His mind was still pretty good. But um, it, it's a preparation so that when it eventually happened, it's it's not a surprise. And and I think that, again, it's, it's not death that we fear. It's the way that death is going to happen, right? So, so it's interesting how everybody deals with it differently but the one the one central factor for sure is that being attached too attached to this physical life and really not wanting to let it go is a big factor in the acceptance of death there are a lot of people now trying to cheat death even uh some people in uh well there was one one man who wants to um he wants to reverse his aging to be of a, a young man. I think he's in his 40s, but he wants to be maybe, I think it was 18 or 19 year old or 20 year old or something like that. And so he's investing millions of dollars into, into changing the biology of his body so that he can remain young. But it's when you're fighting against your natural rhythm, you know, there's going to be an imbalance created somewhere. You know, if it's, if it's your time, it's your time. I mean, heaven forbid something happened to him that doesn't have to do with with dying at an old age. Maybe maybe there's something else in between that happens, right? So we can't we we don't know. We mm. can't predict. And you know, as long as we as much as we would want to have fun in this life and hang, there is a huge attachment to this. You know, there is more to us that exists than this here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, as part of that that understanding of us being soul beings and that we have greater um, we have greater experiences that are beyond what we even can comprehend in this life. And I, and I, and I love that reference to attachment because we can become very attached. We can be, a, we can, be, we can become attached to many things in our life lives, you know, holding on to this practical 3d world, you know, aspects of it, you know, and then mm -hmm. it makes it harder to let go and, accept more of our existence and and also in preparation for beyond beyond the veil beyond that time mm -hmm. well you know you, you look at modern society and and there is this obsession with longevity um and yeah people want to make this life as long as possible and uh, i remember an interview uh with a gentleman who was a hundred and five years old and uh at the end of the interview the interviewer asked you know do you have any words of wisdom for us <laughs> imagine asking a 105 year old <laughs> any words of wisdom and he outright without hesitation said it's too long to live he yeah. says he says we're not meant to live this long he said all my friends are gone everyone died I can't make new friends. I can't create a new life because the life has a, a beginning, a center, a middle, and an end. And even if you look at nature, you look at plants or anything, it, it, you know, 
even the most beautiful flower um, has numbered days and it and it goes towards what what we will the vocabulary we use is that it goes towards being ugly it goes from being beautiful to being ugly but really that's just a perception and and vocabulary that we use it's just going through its process is what it's doing right and um i know several people i have a, a couple of friends right now who are working on a book of longevity and they're just obsessed with making life as long as possible i think that focusing on making life as beautiful as possible and as pleasant as possible and as great an experience as possible is 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 good but to make it as long as possible is just without real purpose if the purpose is just length you know and not quality of life then the focus is wrong right well and i feel that quality of life will lead to length of life if you're if you're mm -hmm. constantly projecting into the future and thinking about well i want to have this i want to have this kind of life i want to live this long then what about today and just enjoying this today then you're always striving you're always rushing you're always changing trying to change that timeline you're not yeah. you're losing aspect or you're losing the point of being in the present moment and and feeling more and sensing more and connecting more and therefore you connect more with your body you connect more with your well-being in the present moment and you would think that would lead to a longer life or at least it does. It at does. least a longer quality of life so that mm -hmm. my my main focus i hope that i can do this is to have as best quality of life until the end so that i'm not because we, we can we can push ourselves to live longer but then if you end up having 10 or 15 years in a bed because you're you, like you you can still maintain some health, but you're not living optimally. Well, then is that a good quality of life, or are you just living? Are you just stretching that timeline are, out? Are you just alive? <laughs> exactly, you're just alive. I'd be... rather have as best quality as I can the whole the whole way to the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, when it's time, it's time. But I definitely don't want to be in bed for ten years or five, even or three. Yeah. Like, that would not be a good up to machines that's right exactly. yeah. so you know that i think that's really an important point right is that it, it, the more we increase the quality of our life uh, the more chance there is of living longer it's mm -hmm. actually a beautiful way to look at it right and so that's what you know yoga and breathing and meditation and the agenda that i have which is you know, to teach breathing techniques, to, to relax and to calm and to nurture and feed the body, nurture and feed the mind, all these things that I do, it's all about increasing the quality of the present moment, which ultimately gives you that longer life. So it is, it's very important. Yeah, for sure. And, and in terms of how we, we face death and we face life i think one of my favorites uh is uh right in fact coming up here it's the whole halloween thing right mm. in uh, mexico it's called the day of the dead now the day of the dead is funny they say the day of the dead but the actual celebration is um i believe it's four or five days long it starts uh october 29th ish and it goes till november 3rd november 2nd and it's all the process of coming and going. It's the so the the Mexicans and this. It's funny because it's it's sort of anchored in Christianity, but it has these incredible roots in ancient Mayan culture as well. And um, it's the whole process of coming, being, and then going. And uh, I, I love the way that the Mexicans deal with it, or that the cultures that celebrate the Day of the Dead in that way. Uh, deal with death straight on and head on there's no um there's no um denial of it it's um it's very you know faced head on you know uh, one of the best movies uh, that that portray this and, and it's, it's cartoon but it's called coco i don't know if you've ever seen coco but yeah. fantastic absolutely great I, I it's a disney movie but they did such a great job 
And Coco is a movie about the Day of the Dead. Extremely, extremely well done. And in Coco, in the movie, what happens is there's this whole exploration of the space between. So back to uh, everything, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, Tibetan Book of the Dead, <laughs> and Purgatory is portrayed in this. And then the what happens is Coco goes and speaks with... Uh, his father and with his grandparents and all these people who are hanging out in the bardo uh, the bardo is a beautiful word it's the tibetan one but hanging out in the bardo and in the bardo there's all kinds of stuff that gets resolved that's still attached to this physical life but only for a time period and then of course we move on um but anyway that's a, a really good one and i'm headed to that right now in fact i'm I'm heading to Mexico soon and I will be there for that celebration. And there's something about it that is just, um, it's, uh, I don't know what term to use, but it, it just makes you feel lighter about life, lighter about death, lighter about the whole process. It's, it's an interesting um, frame of mind to have. And I've, I've faced it a few times or I've been part of it a few times. And, um, and at first I thought, well, this is crazy. You know, all these people dressing up as skeletons and all, you know, dressing up as scary beings. We've totally lost it with, with the whole Halloween thing here, here it's just become a, a celebration of sugar or something. I don't know what the hell it is. Pumpkins and sugar. <laughs> there's no there's no depth to it again it's mm -hmm. it's sort of when you look at whenever whenever a culture whenever uh a society is just living in the physical realm it's just physical things um th th there's there's something missing there and what i like about you know the tibetans approach to death and the, and the old stories of the egyptians and this whole day of the dead in mexico is that it goes deeper and it goes into this uh, in between, right? The the afterlife. So anyway, Coco is uh, I highly recommend it, even for adults. <laughs> well, Disney movies are applicable for adults. They do throw in some and, and this one nuggets in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. the, you know, we've often made those observations, right? Of the different layers, the different levels of communication that's going on in Disney movies, but. Coco is the full package. It really is uh, firing yeah. also in that way. Another thing that I um, I came across just recently, um, there's a a company called Farsight, and Farsight are remote viewers. And and Courtney, this gentleman has been doing this remote viewing, and he had a description of death that was very interesting. Um, he Basically, the remote viewers have been able to follow the death process in his world to the point of, of white light. So the white light at the end of the tunnel, that white light moment, he has remote viewers, and I believe he perhaps has had the experience himself. But he says that when we reach the white light, at that moment, there's a decision of going back to resolve things and keep working on the experience that we're having here and just going back or beyond, which would be back to the collective, back to the collective energy, back to the Godhead, back to source, you know, whatever words of vocabulary that we can use there. And the reason I mention this is what was interesting to me was to have someone who's very scientific, who's very into science and into physical stuff and all of that. And, and with the remote viewing, having been brought to a space that to me sounds like the Bardo again, right? This decision place of working things out. He didn't talk so much about working out whether you had a good life or a bad life. What he talked about was, is there stuff to go back and resolve? Is there stuff to go back and finish? Is there stuff to continue with? So what am I going to do? Am I going back to another incarnation? Am I going back or do I move on? 
And coming from a scientific point of view like that made it interesting to me because um, generally the scientific community just like, it's just, it's just, that's it, you know, it's all over. Uh, so that was interesting to, to come across that. They're called Farsight and there's a lot of, a lot of insights at Farsight <laughs> uh, that was, that relates to this, this idea of, of um, dying and what comes after are you so, familiar with doris doris cannon is that her name doris cannon yeah she's yeah. A, a great channeler i love yes. her work yeah. yes and she had i caught a really great uh, video of hers talking about the afterlife and how she's communicated with many people who have passed on and when they passed on they the common message was how insignificant that all the problems were in the life that that has been lit that was lived in the earth plane in the physical realm and so when they go in to the afterlife it becomes nothing like all the problems are gone all the mm -hmm. problems are gone all the issues and so when we're in this heavy dense struggle and life and so hard and so difficult and it's just a it's just a blip in our timeline it's nothing when, when, yeah, when we leave it, it becomes a, a memory, a distant, yeah. distant memory. So, yeah, I, I think that that's what's important about what you're saying there is, is um, that people get really attached to their belief systems and their paradigms and all of that. And, and what it results into is a, a life of suffering. It's, 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 unfortunately, it just becomes a life of suffering to the person who's really attached to those belief systems and those frameworks, especially, and, and, and people really defend their belief systems. And when they become very, you know, uh, attached to that definition, because for some reason it makes them feel better, <laughs> gives them some sort of comfort. Um, it's it's a sad thing to me because that's part of the attachment thing, attachment to the story, attachment to what's going on here. And and again, this is where you see this in in, in people as they age, when they when people get into their 70s, they tend not to stand up and pound the desk and, and defend an idea because they've been full circle enough to know uh, it's not really worth fighting for or arguing about. And so they become better at listening and just not reacting let's put it that way i guess and then um as time goes on you know you people become more and more uh, i guess you could call it buddha like right just just being observers and observing what's going on as opposed to judging it and having an opinion about it it's just into observation rather than judgment and um I mean, Christianity and the whole Western way, unfortunately, is stuck in all kinds of screwed up vocabulary, like Judgment Day, for instance, you know, that, you know, it's all, it all accumulates, it all accumulates into judgment, <laughs> when, when really, it, it accumulates into release, it, it accumulates into freedom, as we move on to the space that you were just mentioning about, where Doris Cannon was talking about, wow, this is also insignificant all these things you know that happen in this life all the details that happen in this life and all preoccupations and, and you just look at conversation when people are even at dinner parties and sitting around talking and you look at the concerns and political concerns and financial concerns and all these things and we have to deal with it because it's this life that we're here to to live but we can't lose sight of the fact that in in a very short order it will all mean nothing because we will move back to the eternal being that we are in that collective space and speaking of the western culture what happened what happened to bring us to this process or this uh perception that we see of death in the process of um ceremonial uh, it's not even ceremonial it's a funeral basically but it has right. so much heaviness to it and I, I remember i believe it was two years ago i went to a family funeral and uh it's really depressing 
It was, it was really, yeah. really, it, it was not only sad. I mean, the, the energy there was, was really sad. Yeah. But just the whole, the service and the process of it. And I have a Russian background, so it was, it was a little bit um, traditional in a sense, but it also still had Western standards mm-hmm. implemented into the process. So it, it did have a lot of weight to it. And, uh, and I found myself too getting carried into that myself um, emotionally, especially. Yeah. But what 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 has happened? What why and how can we? I, I think we're already talking about it here in in our conversation. But how can we move away from that and mm-hmm. it, it, even within ourselves or the process of allowing for that passage? And I think that it it's uh, it's happening. I mean, we are in fact in this time of evolution and of awakening and growth, where things are changing. So. And just to put it in order, the first idea is maintaining fear of death is what church and society wants. They want people in fear. So even for the medical world, everything they want is they want people to fear death, fear, fear, fear. And so the 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 the, the sort of ceremonial process that you're talking about, that funeral, um, yeah, it stays in that place of darkness. You know, everything's black, everything's dark. But even if you look at the evolution of our own society now, we've we've actually have a very large population calling it the celebration of life. So even there, there's an awakening happening, an evolution where people are going, this is not negative and dark and 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 something to fear. It's a celebration of life. It's an opportunity to revisit this person's life, acknowledge the fact that they had a beautiful life, and also acknowledge acknowledge the moment that they're not here anymore, which is the sad part, right? But that's the sad physical story part where, yeah, we're going to miss them. But most most funerals and most deaths, most celebrations of life have, you know, the person's life had a process where they basically, you know, had this arc, you know. I mean, obviously, we're not going to talk about you know, children dying and, and, and people dying before they should sort of thing. But if you look at the arc of a person's life, you know, there was, there was a this whole evolution into a place of participation and production. And, and then this, this, you know, things breaking down and just getting old, you know. And, and so I think that the, the two things that you, you brought up there are the traditionally the church and state want to maintain fear around death and that's why the funerals are so dark but we can also see that people are waking up to the fact that hey this is just the way it is you know this is the way it goes and so let's have a celebration of life so you right there in the vocabulary you see that there's a there's a there's a shift happening and then when you look at uh, again traditional cultures that have not had that darkness um, you know, put around the shroud of, of fear and darkness around death. And there's some nice celebrations, you know. Um, even the Hindus in India, when the the whole funeral pyre, the the whole transition of the body into the ether is actually a beautiful thing. And they sing and dance and, and laugh. It's just, it's a really nice event. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. I think most of the darkness and death and funeral celebration has been really based around uh, the religion of the time and Catholicism and Christianity and that sort of thing. Uh, so I think we're 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 evolving beyond that, though. I think people are seeing that, and I, and I think that just that term, you know, a celebration of life, is is a, is an indication of that. But, and uh, uh, if you wouldn't mind going into your own personal experience that you encountered this last year with your mother, so it's still a little bit fresh for yourself as well. And um, if you have any words of wisdom for anyone going through it, or maybe even how you, um, you know, how to navigate it internally, because no matter what, when someone passes who's really close to us, a parent or sibling mm-hmm. or a very, very close loved one, 
when mm -hmm. they pass, there still is an activation of emotion. There still is this, uh, you know, our own attachment for some have very strong attachments or mm -hmm. even just uh, unconscious attachments or even just that beautiful process of grieving, you know, how to, how to work through it and maybe even just ways of understanding that part of ourselves when we go through the, the loss of a loved one, how to work with it in a healthy way. Also, it's part celebration, but how to understand what's happening within ourselves when, when that uh, takes place. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I suppose the, there's, there's no way of getting away from um, the emotional pain and that's going to happen. And so again, I think we fear suffering and and so we perceive crying as a form of suffering when really it's just a form of expression and so when people uh, when you're experiencing a loss of a, of a close one i mean you know both my parents so my my parents passed in the past my dad died three years ago and my mother this year and um there was a certain amount of compassion from from myself um, with them moving on and not having to deal with all the trials and tribulations of this this physical life um so yeah there's going to be this moment where you're feeling the pain and that's what crying is and that's what that emotion is i think what where the adjustment is needed for people the two things that need to happen is one it is completely natural and normal to have that emotional pain and to understand that that's normal and that it's okay and that if you need to cry and cry for hours that's normal and it's okay and and that acceptance of expressing that emotion is uh, is part of of um of that process so getting rid of any um, guilt of feeling that kind of pain or of crying and, and having a problem with it is the first thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That is a normal process. The coming to terms with the physical reality, this change where a person is no longer going to be in your physical space anymore on this planet, that's just a, you know, something that we have to accept and adjust to with my mother it's funny because i um i i always was the one that stayed in contact with her and i would always share my stories with her to, to help give her life purpose in that sense that my son's called and told me a story and my son's told is sharing what he's doing with his life and that sort of thing and after she's was gone and and it still actually happens to me um I'll have I'll have a, a great experience. I'll, I'll have something that I really want to share with people, and I'll go to call her. <laughs> she, um, not so much just lately, but for months afterwards, I would reach for the phone, and I'll say, "Oh, I'm going to call mom and tell her." And then the realization that that's no longer part of this physical reality anymore would happen, and. Uh, and uh, again, it's it's being okay with that. You still have to be okay with it. We can't change the fact that we're physical beings that get old and fall apart, <laughs> and the vehicle uh, has its its time limit. There's a time limit to the the health of this body. That's why when people get into longevity and and you know wanting to live uh, over a hundred years, it's a nonsensical um, sort of idea because we are eternal it's this body that's not eternal but the life is an attachment to relationship and attachment to identity is the biggest problem that we have right we get very attached to our identity so in the same way when when a parent dies or when a close one dies we're attached to their identity is what we're really attached to and being too attached to the identity and letting that affect your experience in this life is is the thing that needs to be healed when we talk about healing well that's what needs to be healed is changing our perception 
of that relationship, you know, which is attached to identity, which is attached to a thing, which is attached to the physical. And we're not physical beings. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And so, you know, it it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard it, uh, in a way, but it is important to accept that expression of grief uh, important to accept the process you know of literally emotionally releasing it you know hopefully it's not punching a a, a, a boxing bag or something like that. <laughs> crying is actually the best way it, it flows it flows like water physical, physical exertion isn't bad either <laughs> physical exertion is you know that's why i mention it but um so it's true. It's true. And and some people will really bury themselves in that more physical sort of expression of it. But uh, water is the representation, is the metaphor of emotion. Water is the metaphor of emotion. It flows. And so crying is good because you look at water coming right out of your eyes. It's it's a, a flowing of fluid. It's a flowing of water. It's a release. And so that release is very important. And the fact that it's being released as water and flowing like water is even, you know, more powerful once we understand that, that, yeah, yeah, the water needs to flow. And that means the emotion is flowing. And even though from the outside, you're seeing someone crying and going through what looks like really a lot of pain, <laughs> It's still a fantastic uh, process and a way, great way to do it. It, so. it is. It is a shift when you go through such a release in any, in any way, and even not because of grief or because of grief, mm -hmm. you are shedding a layer within yourself. You are connecting more with some kind of deeper essence of yourself. It is a purge, but it's also allowing for renewal. It is also allowing for clarity. It is also allowing for a um, deeper sense of your deeper self. So mm -hmm. it's it's very good. Yeah, and, and we have this, this prone ability for disassociation from our emotions and wanting to reach for something else to get us through difficult moments rather than facing that that uh, release of those emotions yeah 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 so i think that a really powerful experience for anyone is to be in the presence of someone departing um getting back to 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 death itself you know and and even my experiences um being in the presence of someone departing i is a really rich experience it's really something and uh, so people who have a near-death experience themselves they get to experience it themselves and then come back right but with most of us we just get to experience someone else departing but being in that peaceful moment that moment when it happens is um is very rewarding in our understanding of what is really happening i think it's a it's a rich experience it really is a good thing um, because why well because there's no denying it there's no getting away from it and um, experiencing it actually makes us feel more in tune with it, it makes us feel um it, it just gives us even though we can't put it into words it gives us a deeper understanding of the natural process and that's comforting that's comforting because it makes you fear your own death less yes. and um, again it, it, we're not fearing death in itself we're, we're fearing the process of dying and so when i can i can imagine also the body knows the body knows what to do the body knows has its own intelligence and when you're moving towards that time in your life the body will help you get there and when we're not tuned in with our body we can miss the comfort in that process and we can miss the guidance into that process as well if we're resisting if we're sad if we're afraid then 
we may mm -hmm. not have that alignment and not have that guidance within our whole self to move through that process with ease and um yeah yeah well against attachment to life is so over a person is in that hospital bed and they're just going i can't die i can't die i gotta live i gotta live you know give me more drugs give me don't give me another solution i gotta do this i gotta keep going and then then they're not hearing that stuff that you're talking about right they're not able to let the intelligence this universal intelligence that's in our body uh do go through the process because why well because they're interfering they're interfering with injections and and all these hooked these, up to uh, machines and all sorts of machines you know i mean yeah. um i had a very uh, uh unfortunate experience with my my mother's brother my uncle um he had a motorcycle accident and he landed on his head and had complete brain damage and all of that and they kept he he basically never spoke after the accident um and they kept him alive for three years three years no talking no communication nothing poor gene was just stuck in this body there was light in his eyes you could he understood language so he understood english he understood when we spoke to him I remember sharing some really key moments of my life with him, but he, his body didn't work. He, he could see it in his eyes. In his eyes, there was light. And, and and you know, we, we had this little thing where we could establish a relationship where he was able to acknowledge that he got the story, that he got what you just said. And um, <clears throat> it was a, a very very powerful sort of time to go through but all that time hooked up to machines just again this this obsession with longevity this obsession with survival this obsession with keeping the life going even when it's not supposed to you see well the obsession with also keeping others going you know it's that again, that's right it's tricky I've, I've i've witnessed that myself as well and it's um yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the the body, you know, even Gene's body in that situation, that story I just told you. I mean, he his body knew what to do, mm -hmm. and that would have been to leave. Yeah. But you know, other attachments, and then the medical profession with its its um, <clears throat> fascination with technology and fascination with the ability to alter this situation is, is, is what's wrong, right? That's what should never have happened, but, but it did. And so that speaks to what we spoke, we've touched on a few times during this conversation, right? Is this attachment to this physical life? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're, I think we're, pretty much there we've accomplished our mission is there yes. anything else that you would like to include before <clears throat> we we log off to those listening about the topic of death we've covered the history of it we've covered the attachments which, which is really i think key for especially us mm -hmm. in the western society you know we're all working on that and, and even just being human having the attachment to certain aspects of our life and, and navigating that and getting a clearer sense of what we truly are holding on and and is it fear is it where's where are those attachments coming from but is there anything you would like to leave everyone anyone with with a message maybe or a little pearl of wisdom mm -hmm. well in in trying to identify what is important and what is not in this life it's important to try to tune into uh, our heart and tune into our deep relationships right and whenever a person is trying to evaluate whether they truly should be afraid of something or not trying to separate or identify whether it's a belief system whether it's a set of ideas whether it's a paradigm that's making you suffer or that's creating suffering or whether it's a true heartfelt and heart attachment to whatever it is that you're 
having to deal with. And once we can separate the stuff that is truly of our essence and rooted and based in our heart, as opposed to um, stuff that's rooted in mental thoughts and paradigms and mental structures, you know, as soon as we can sort of identify one from the other, so the mind constructs, the mental construct stuff, and the heart connection, and you can eliminate a great percentage of, of suffering because the heart will tell you what's really important. The head is just going to lead you down a path of, of more suffering, essentially. I think that's one of the things to to try to identify within ourselves we use meditation and and, and different techniques to 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 find that because when you meditate and you get into that deeper space you're going to have things come up from the well of your subconscious you're going to have things come up and that's where what i'm talking about right now is important divide the mental construct stuff from the heartfelt connection and a great percentage of the suffering can be eliminated. And um, yeah, the other thing is that to know that there's going to be some emotional pain and suffering when we lose key people and, and important people in our lives is normal. And it's the way it works. That's how we process it. That's it, to be okay with that. So those are the, sort of the main points in dealing with this whole uh, life of suffering is that you know identifying those things and separating the mental constructs from the heart the separation process allows us to transition as well it's, it's also the the person in our life that's going through their transition but we also are as well going through a transition too it's mm -hmm. beautiful yeah All right. Well, great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Marcus. It was a pleasure. So also too, for those uh, listening, Marcus Dupuy, I'll leave his contact information below from Elemental Life Living. Elemental Both. Living. Both. <laughs> <laughs> it's all life, life oriented. So I'll leave the contact information uh, below as well. But thank you again, Marcus, for joining and sharing your information about this, this very powerful and important topic. Thank you, Tara. Thank you for joining another episode of Beyond the Veil. Make sure to find me over on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And keep an eye open for more episodes as we dive into the depths beyond the veil.